the war within. Winning the war within. Father God, have your way. Speak this morning. Speak this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. Winning the war within. So let me start with a story. Let me put the timer on. I don't want to talk for two, for two hours today. Oh, all right. There's a, there was a conflict. There's a conflict in, uh, that, that, be, that is brewing in the Wayside Community Church. Over several months, this conflict was growing between the pastor and the worship leader. Pastor Cholo and Juanita, the worship leader. Every week, it was becoming more and more evident that there was something not quite right between the pastor and the worship leader. And as weeks turned to months, it was now spilling into the service on Sunday. And it looked a little something like this. The pastor would get up, and this week he began a sermon series. And his first sermon in the sermon series was about uh, commitment and how we should dedicate ourselves to the service of God. At the end of the service, Juanita led the church in the song, I Shall Not Be Moved. <laughs> well, week two came, and Pastor Cholo preached on tithing and how we should gladly give to the work of the Lord. At the end of the service, Juanita led the church in a song called Jesus Paid It All. You know, uh, Pastor Cholo's starting to get a little frustrated, but week three comes in and, and he preaches on gossiping and the need to watch your tongues. And at the end, Juanita led the church in a song called, I Love to Tell the Story. <laughs> now, Pastor Cholo's frustration continued to grow every week. And with, this on, and with this going on, he became disgusted with the situation. It started to like, like really weigh heavily on him. And he started praying like, God, do you want me here? Is it my time to leave? Is my, is my season over? And, and these are the things that are going through his head because he just doesn't know what to do. And so the following Sunday, he told the congregation that he was considering resigning because he was just going through too much. At the end of that service, Juanita led with the song, Oh, Why Not Tonight? <laughs> that was the straw that broke the camel's back. Pastor, had, Pastor Cholo had had enough. He said, you know what? I'm done. I can't take this anymore. And next Sunday, after he preached, he solemnly solemnly said that it, Jesus, it was Jesus who had led him to the church, and he believed that Jesus was now leading him away. And after he sat down, Juanita led the church in a song called, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. We got to pray for Sister Juanita. Juanita. 
We really got to pray for her. Thank goodness that that does not exist here at my house at all. This is not a true story. Okay? There is no uh, Wayside Community Church. Not that I know of. And uh, Pastor Cholo, there is probably a Pastor Cholo somewhere, but I wasn't talking about him. And if there's a worship leader named Juanita somewhere, I wasn't talking about you. Um, but the reality is that conflict exists in the church. Conflict is real. There will always be conflict. And, you know, many of us are like, yeah, yeah, I know there's conflict in the world. I know there's conflict out in the street. I know there's conflict at work and so forth, but, but there shouldn't be conflict in the church. Well, we would live a perfect life if there was no conflict in the church, and this could be like a shelter that we can go to, right, to get away from conflict. And as much as we want to create an atmosphere, an environment conflict-free, the reality is, there are so many people in one place. Guess what? There will always be conflict. There will be conflict. And the thing is that many of these conflicts begin with the wars within ourselves first. And so the title of the sermon is Winning the War Within. And many times conflict arises because of a war that we're fighting inside ourselves and sometimes we're losing that war. When we begin to lose the battle inside, then we experience conflict on the outside. And so we're going to talk more about this and get into some details. As we continue in James, and I don't know, listen, uh, oh, last week was a treat. Last week, I want to thank the church family. You guys were amazing. Um, everything that you guys did for myself and for my family, we, are, we greatly, appreci greatly appreciate it. Um, I believe that the greatest gift that you guys gave me on Pastor's Appreciation Day was such an amazing time in worship and in, and, in, and in fellowship that you guys just, last week was amazing. And so thank you guys so much. Um, uh, it, it really, really, it touched the spot right here. Um, we've been in James now, I believe this is our 11th or 12th sermon in James. Can you believe that? And we are starting chapter four right now. Okay. There is so much information and James continues to give advice and wisdom to a church that is struggling. And right now he's addressing the conflict within the church. Right? And not only does he address it, but he gives us directions how to win this war. Who wants to learn? Taino wants to learn. Amen. Taino, let's go. Listen. James chapter 4, verses 1 to 10. James chapter 4, verses 1 to 10. I'm going to read it all. Let's go. What is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and you kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. 
You want only what will give you pleasure. You adulterers. Don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. Do you think the scriptures have no meaning? Yo, James is like going in on them, right? James is going in. He's like, yo, they got issues. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell them right now. Do you think the scriptures have no meaning? They say that God is passionate, that the spirit, has, he, the spirit he has placed within us should be faithful to him. And he gives grace generously, as the scriptures say. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So, humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come close to God, and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, for your, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up in honor. Wow. So, did you know that every little baby, as precious as they are, right? We look at our babies, oh, so precious. They are born little savages. <laughs> they are little savages. Delinquent savages. Don't look at me like that. It's the truth. It is the truth. Our children born are, as infants are little delinquent savages. Because they are self-centered, they're selfish, they care about nobody but themselves. Am I right so far? Moms, dads, right? They don't care about nobody but themselves. You know? You know, it, it, everything is about what the child wants, the child's bottle, the parent's attention, you know, uh, you know somebody else's toy. You know, it, 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 it doesn't matter if they want it. They're going to try everything to get it, and they don't care at what cost. Deny them something and see the rage and the wrath that comes from a little tiny human. <laughs> the child has no morals. The infant has no morals. It has no knowledge, no skills, you know. This means that all children, not some, I know some, well, not my child, no, your child too, <laughs> are little delinquents when they're born. And if permitted to remain that way, given free reign to their impulsive, uh, to, to impulse, uh, impulsive actions to, and, and, and given free reign to uh, act impulsively to those feelings, and actions to satisfy what they want, every child will grow up to be a criminal. That's why parenting is so important. It's so important. It's hard work. It is hard work. Because a little tiny person, and you're like, it's hard work. We love them so much, and sometimes we think that because we love them, we shouldn't discipline them. But it's through disciplining them that we show them that they cannot just act impulsively to all their feelings like this. 
Every child will grow up to be a criminal, a thief, a, a thief or a killer, or a rapist, if you were allowed to just feel that you can get whatever you want whenever you want it. That's a scary thought. How does that even make you feel to know? I mean, that's an extra, like, heavier burden on the parents. Like, ah, oh, got to work harder. There was, this was a conclusion as a result of a report that was written in 1926 by the Minnesota Crime Commission. El Paso, that's outdated. We can't even go by that anymore. Well, you know, times change, but really people don't. Society, you know, we have, we have uh, technology, but people are still people. People are still people. And this wasn't a report that was uh, created by the church about, about sinners. This was a report that included everyone. And it was about the, the human nature and its, and its uh, pull, in the, its sinful nature and its pull. So let's take a look at James more deeply and see what he says about this war and see how he tells us we can win this war. Verse 1 talks about quarreling. What is the causing the quarrels and fights among you? Quarrels and fights. Why do we fight? Why do we quarrel? Quarrel. Okay, Pastor, break that down. Quarrel is a heated argument or disagreement that's typically between people who usually are on good terms. That's what a quarrel is. And the church usually should be on good terms, right? 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 All right. And so what happens is, um, here we're asking the question, like, why are they doing that? Well, why do people steal? Why do people lie? Why do people cheat? Why do people hurt other people? Why do people kill people? Why do they do this? Why do we do the things that people know we shouldn't do? There was another guy that spoke about this in the Bible. Romans chapter 7, verses 18 to 19. Paul, struck, Paul, Paul talks about this a little bit. And he says, and I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyways. Who can relate? Amen? And so Paul himself is struggling with this issue. But but at the same time, he answers our question. He says, it's our sinful nature. That's why we lie. That's why we cheat. That's why we have killers. That's why we have crime. Because of our sinful nature. And And even Paul is wrestling with this. It drives him crazy. It drives Paul crazy that Paul himself is saying, there are times I want to do good and I can't do it. There are times that I don't want to do bad and I do it. Paul is struggling with this. So I say this, and I only emphasize this because I want you guys to know that you cannot, uh, you can't tie yourself down with self-condemnation when you feel like you've fallen short. You can't just give up when you think you've made a mistake. You can't just give up and say, well, 
I tried. I can't, I, you know, I, can't, I messed up. I might as well not. No, no, we can't do that because we all will fall short. We all will still mess up. And the thing is, we have to keep pressing forward. This thing called sin causes a battle, a war between the nature of God that dwells in our lives as Christians, right? And we have to fight and choose who you will listen to, who will be the influence. Are you going to allow the sinful nature or the nature of God? When we accept Christ, right? When we accept Christ and we become Christians, you know, there's, there's a nature of God in us. And, and what happens is it's a battle between the sin, the sin and the spirit, like evil and the spirit, evil and good in the battle, and it's happening within us. It's a battle. It's a war for our souls. The devil wants your soul, but it belongs to God. He wants it, and he will do anything for it. But it belongs to God. And so there's this battle. There's this battle. There's a battle between good and evil, this eternal battle. Look at your, open your eyes and look at the world around you, and you can see the results of that battle. The evil, the crime, the nonsense, the things that don't make sense. And then you also see the beautiful things. You also see those that are loving, those that are helping, those that are doing good things. There's, you, you see both, and you see that there's a battle that's going on in our world. These battles start within, they start within each and every one of us as individuals. It's the choices that we make that causes these wars to go on and on. It's the choices that we make that will cause these wars to go on and on in our lives. It starts with our desires, the things that we want, things like money, power, authority, possessions, right, status. Give me more of that. Give me more of that. I want more of that. And so what happens is it starts with that, our desires. Um, just like kids playing together. Um, many of us know this very well. Kids playing together, they're playing with a bunch of toys, and they desire another toy. And many times they desire a toy that just happens to be in the hands of another child. There could be a million toys, and there could be only like three kids in the room, and one kid will have that toy, and even though there's a million others, I want that one. I want that one, and there's a fight, and there's a quarrel, and there's an argument, and there's crying. And then guess what? Nobody gets a toy. And then the one who had the toy in the first place is just like, I'm going to get you later. <laughs> My de we desire what everyone else has. We're not satisfied with what we have. I had a friend. I have a friend. And um, I don't think he's going to be watching this, so I think I can say this. Even though I'm not saying his name, I know he'll know I'm talking about him. Um, <laughs> I have a friend. We've been friends for about 25 years. We, uh, we've been friends for a long time. And uh, it was just, even, even, in, even in late teen years, I would get a video game, and he would get a better video game. And then top it with, 
an extra controller. You know, back then, you know, it was an extra controller was a big deal. You know, and then and then it was like arcade style controller. You know, like you know how you guys are, who used to go to the arcades, right? I mean, I know the younger folk like arcades. Why? No, listen, <laughs> we used to go to arcades, right? And, and what happens is we used to we used to play, and so they came out with a portable arcade joystick. Like it was like this big. It wasn't that portable compared to now, but it was like this big, and it had the joystick and then the exact arcade thing. So not only did he get the game, but he got that too. I was like, all right, it's cool, it's cool, you know. You know, I went to the military. He went to the military. Um, I bought a car. He bought a better car. <laughs> I bought a house. He bought a bigger house. I bought a latest gadget, stereo systems, TVs for the car. At that time, that was a thing. And he did twice as much to his car. I married the most amazing woman in the world, and I won. <laughs> he can't top that. He can't top that. <laughs> Sorry. I win. No. <laughs> um, but it was like this for 25 years. It's like you see something that you want, or you see something, and you want to do better, or you want more, this and that, blah, blah. And I love him. I still love him. I love him to death. It's just funny to me. But, but we have so much. Did you know that compared to most of the world, we're rich. We're rich. I have a family. My family is from Dominican Republic. And uh, I go to Dominican Republic, and those, you know, every time you go, go ahead, girl. Don't be, don't be, be proud. Be proud. Um, and um, I go to visit. And the family over there thinks I'm, I'm like M Mr. Millionaire. You know, they're like, oh, you know, Vince from the U.S., Vince from New York. Everybody's from New York, you know. Everybody's from New York. You go visit somebody, oh, U.S., oh, from New York. And so uh, you visit, and they're like, oh, hey, let's go here. Let's go here. I want to take you here. And then, like, you realize that they're taking you all over the, you know, they're your tour guide, but you're paying for, like, everything. <laughs> like, everything. You know, they bring their friends. Like, oh, let's go to this restaurant. It's really good. Oh, let's go to this place. It's really good. And you end up paying for everything. You go, and they'll be like, oh, so what you bring us? What you bring? I brought me. <laughs> what are you talking about? You know? I won't be a slave to that. My mom's in DR right now, and you should have seen her packing. It was like, I'm like, mom, what is all this? Oh, no, this is for so-and-so, and this is for, I was like, oh, my goodness. She couldn't even fit it in her bag. Because she had more stuff for other people than for herself. But anyways, anyways, if you have a roof over your head and it's not made of tin, yeah, there are people living under tin roofs. If you don't have a roof over tin, you, in the Dominican Republic, $250 a month gets you your own personal live-in maid or butler. Did you know that? You know, a lot of the houses in the Dominican Republic are made with a little room in the back of the house that has a little bedroom and its own little bathroom because lots of people have their live-in maids and butlers. 250 bucks a month, and they live there. And you give them off, like, you, could let, you can give them off Sundays or something like that. And they do, whatever, you know, they do their personal stuff on Sundays, and they live with you. They cook, they clean, they take care of the kids. 250 bucks a month. Everybody's like, wait a minute. 
What I got to do to move the Dominican Republic? <laughs> if you could eat once a day at least, if you eat once a day at least and you have some type of change in your pocket or in the bank, you are already doing better than 50% of the world. You're already doing better than 50% of the world. But yet we see the things that other people have. And we see this now even more because we have this, 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 this pandemic called influencers that has hit our society. And we were talking a little bit about it with the teens yesterday. I mean, they, it's all of, half of it is a front. You, you're walking and you see a car you like. Oh, take a picture of this. My whip for, and they'd be like, my whip for today. That is not your whip. That is somebody else's car. Get off of it before they come outside. <laughs> we want what we see on social media. We want what we're seeing all these people doing. And they're like, man, how is this person only 25 years old and they have this house, this car, this this, and blah, blah, blah and this, that. And all that person is doing is pretty much putting themselves in debt many times trying to play the role. This is what coveting is. Coveting is wanting what somebody else has. And many times people will do anything to get that. They will kill and covet. They will quarrel and fight. And yet you still can't have what you want. The cycle goes on and on. It goes over and over. You know, we covet. (laughs) We quarrel. We fight. We're not happy. We covet. We quarrel. We fight. We're not happy. We covet. And it's a cycle. It's a cycle. So the problem is that our desires are messed up. We want what we want, not what God wants. Not what God wants. Some of us may have heard someone says, be a Christian and God will give you the desires of your heart. You know you heard that. Oh, if you're a Christian, God will give you the desires of your heart. I'm sick of hearing that. You'll have everything you ever need. God will give you everything. Right? This is the thinking that has created a false doctrine that has infected, especially the, I want to say, well, that has infected a lot of the faith, uh, Christianity these days, is uh, the false doctrines of naming it and claiming it. Okay? So if you hear someone say, just name it and claim it, we don't believe in that. You understand? Now I'm going to explain it a little deeper so that you guys don't think that God doesn't give us something. I'm going to explain to you what, I, what, what they use to support this false doctrine many times is Psalms 34, 37 verse 4. And it says, take the light in the Lord and he will give you your desires, you, the desires of your heart. He will give you your heart's desires. How many people like that? Look at that. Read that verse. How many people like that verse? Be honest. Be honest. Right? 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 I like that. But the problem is that it was taken out of context. That's the problem with that verse. It's been taken out of context. Um, The focus here in this verse, when taken out of context like that, is to satisfy selfish ambition. To satisfy your own desires. But when read in context, it looks a little bit like this. So we we look at verses 3 to 5. And it says, trust in the Lord and do good. Then you will live safely in the land and prosper. Take delight in the Lord 
and he will give you desire, your heart's desires. Commit everything you do to the Lord. Trust him, and he will help you. So there's a little difference now, or is it a lot of different? You see, we have to commit our lives to him first. That's the first thing it says, trust in the Lord, you know, and do good. And we have to commit our lives to God first, not ourselves. We have to trust him first, not ourselves, right? We must do good. We must live for him. If we do these things, then our desires won't be our own. Our desires will be his. Our motives will be his. We won't be selfish. We won't covet. We won't be cheating liars. We would be loving, humble, giving, and generous when we ask for something under those circumstances. Then, yes, we will have what we want because it will be what God wants. So people can't say, oh, well, then the verse is wrong. No, the verse is right. When you submit yourself, when you surrender yourself to God, when you seek God, when it's all about his desires and not yours, and you finally get that relationship right, then everything that you want is a reflection of what he wants. And he will give you that. Verse 4 says, you adulterers, you don't realize Oh, man, I got to speed this up. You don't realize that a friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again. If you want to be a friend of God, a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. James gives us a, a, a stern warning right now. Like, he's going in, and he's like, yo, you can't be a friend of both. A friend of the world or a friend of God, but you can't be both. And he uses the term adulterous. Adultery is when a married person goes outside the marriage, right, to find gratification in any part of their life apart from their spouse. So it's not just sex. It could be um, intimate conversations. It could be secret convos. Anything that is apart from your spouse that is giving you a, a sense of gratification from an opposite sex at that moment becomes adultery. And marriage is an illustration that is often used in the Bible to describe our relationship with God. Right? You know, um, uh, he is, he is the, the bridegroom and the church, us, we are the bride. And so it's supposed to be a, love, li a lifelong commitment. Guys, marriage is lifelong. And so what happens is the, the Bible uses marriage as an illustration to symbolize God as the bridegroom and us as the bride. Together, it's supposed to be a lifelong commitment that no one breaks. No one. And what happens is we get used to society these days being able to be like, well, married today, not married tomorrow. Married today, not married tomorrow. And we don't, we don't realize the seriousness of the covenant of marriage. And then when we go into the relationship with God, we pass that over into our relationship with God. And we don't realize the seriousness of that covenant either. James is saying when we marry ourselves to God, we are no longer to look to the world for gratification. When you're married to God, nothing else should matter. No one else should matter. Whatever the world says, whatever the world wants to give you, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Yo, there's like shows like, like what, Sister Wife? There's a show called Sister Wife. And it's, it's like a, a man and his wife, they look for another woman 
to be another wife, and, and then the two wives will be sister wives, and they will both be his wives. And so it's on TV so that we can see it, be entertained by it, and eventually think it's okay when it's not okay. The world, wants us to, the world is trying to condition our minds to accept the nonsense that goes against the Word of God. It's black and white. There's no gray. Enemy of the world, enemy of, uh, of the, uh, friend of the world is the enemy of God. We show hatred toward God when we're, en- when we're a friend of the world. You're either on one side or the other. It can't be both. Are you with the world or not? Are we with God or not? Are you a Christian or not? It's simple. Pick. Pick. Please pick. A lot of these teens yesterday, um, we don't realize the damage we do to our young people. Because they watch, and we take them to church, or we talk about God, and then we live nothing like that. And then they're like, why should I go? Why should I want this? There are, some of them say, yeah, sometimes it does look like hypocrisy from people. They tell us one thing, but they don't do it. Our children are sponges. They're watching everything. They're listening to everything. They are, you are the example And if you say the Bible says this, they're watching to see if you do it. And if you don't, they're like, oh, well, then it's not really that real. It's not that serious. It's not that serious. Being a Christian isn't like wearing a hat that you can put on and take it off, you know, when it's convenient, you know? It's not just going to church. It's not trying to show a fake ID at the gates of heaven to try to get in. Being a Christian is a full-time, lifetime commitment to the King of kings and Lord of lords, Jesus Christ. It's being totally surrendered to him 24-7. It's prioritizing God. I was talking to uh, several of you maybe throughout the last couple of weeks, and I was talking about prioritizing. This is it's on my chest. It's, he- it's weighing heavy on me because I feel like, like I've let God down in some areas. Are we prioritizing God first? And many of us, the answer is no. The answer is no, and I'm going to tell you, um, if anyone has ever gone to you and says, you know what, I think God wants to use you in this area. I think, I think you'd be great for this in the church. I think you'd be great for that, and you quickly say, no, 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 not me. Then guess what? You're prioritizing yourself first. You know why? Because you didn't even pray about it. You didn't even pray to see if it was God's will. You didn't even pray to see if that's what God wanted. You instantly said no because you don't want to, meaning you are prioritizing your feelings your desires, your wants before God's. Imagine if we lived in a place, imagine, no, no, forget that. Imagine if just here at Lighthouse, we would prioritize God first in everything. You imagine the revival that will sweep through our homes and our church. I'm telling you guys, I'm telling you, we are so worried about being selfish about the things that we want, how we want it, how we want things to be, that we are hindering the Spirit because we are not allowing Him to be what He wants, how He wants it to be, and what He wants to do. He doesn't joke around when it comes to our relationship because He's a jealous God. I mean, He, <laughs> he paid the highest price that anybody could pay. So how do, we come, how do we overcome these worldly desires? How can we win the war within ourselves? And James gives us these answers. In the first verse, he, we see submit ourselves to God. We have to give up trying to live our life our way. 
and that's, that goes along with prioritizing. Like, like Lord, your priority, your, your first priority in my life, what do you want? I submit it. I submit myself to you. I'm going to live my life uh, for you. I'm going to just, whatever you ask me is what I want to do. It's hard to live that way. But it's so powerful if you can get yourself to submit to God in that form. Let his word be our guide of how we live our lives every day. Submit our time, our talents, our abilities, our possessions, our goals, our finances, everything to God. Well, I'll submit everything but this. I had a friend, uh, I had someone in the, in the church that, um, in, in the history of the church, not in this church, that he never submitted his time to the church. He felt that he can just pay off. Like, uh, like, what do you, like, I don't know, like, just, uh, here's, here's some money, leave me alone. Here's some money, let me live the life I want to live. You know, and, and, and so it was constant, it was a constant financial giving from this individual. However, however, it's all right, don't worry about it, don't worry about it. It, it, it was a constant, it was, a, it was, it was like, wasn't able to surrender anything else of his life, but he would, he would rather just give money so that he feel like he can li- keep living the way he wants to. And then you have people that will give everything but their money. And they're like, oh, I'm keeping this. I'm giving God my time. I'm giving God my talents. I'm giving God this snap, but my money, no, 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 I work too hard for that. It's not about picking and choosing. It's about surrendering it all to God, his all. The second, second uh, advice he gives us is resist the devil. If we don't submit to God, then we're submitting to the devil. Do you guys know that? It, it, you're, you're submitting to one or the other. If you're not submitting to God, you are submitting to the enemy. We have to resist the temptations we get from the world. We have to say no to all the influences that lead us away from God. Don't believe everything you hear. You know, uh, there's a lot of wolves in sheep clothing false teachers, false prophets. 1 John 4, 1 says, Dear friends, do not believe everyone who claims to speak by the Spirit. You must test them to see if the Spirit, uh, you must test them to see if the Spirit they have comes from God. For there are many false prophets in the world. We're living in end times. And in the end times, there's going to be a, 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 a rise in false teachers, false prophets, you know, uh, pastors that you guys will see that will say all sorts of things that if you don't read the Bible for yourself, you're not going to be able to, under, you know, you're going to just be led astray. Does it align with God's word and his standards? Resisting takes effort. It takes effort. You need to be intentional. We are being pulled from every direction from a devil who wants to pull us away from God. We have to dig in our feet and resist. Who plays tug of war, right? Remember? In order to hold your ground, you have to dig your feet in, and you have to hold it, but dig in. We have to dig in and and resist the pull of the enemy. The third thing he says is we have to come closer to God, coming closer to God. Um, Verse 8, verse 8 talks about that. The closer we are to him, the clearer we'll hear his voice. And we'll understand his will for our lives. How do we do that? How do we get closer? Well, we, we seek him. We worship. We pray. We read his word. We congregate. Because people like to leave that out too sometimes. Right? 
You know, we'll do everything at home, especially, especially these days. But we got to get together, guys. We got to get together, stay together, encourage one another, seek the Lord together. If we are far from him, we won't hear his voice and we, and we will be enticed by the world. The next thing verse 8 says, it says to wash your hands. What is the best way of avoid getting sick? Wash your hands. Oh, my goodness. COVID-19 came, and everybody is a, wash, a hand washer these days, right? We have experts on hand washing. We have videos on hand washing now. I mean, there's techniques, right? There's techniques and, and time and, and how long, to, hold, how long to, to do this and how long to put it under the water. I mean, there's so many things that we have been taught because, you know, germs stick to your hands. James tells them, wash our hands. Let me, let me remind you, verse 8, it says, um, wash your hands, you sinners. Right? We see germs everywhere in the restaurants and the hospitals. We wash our hands to get rid of those germs. Well, we don't actually see them. We know they're there. And so sometimes we don't actually see the things in our life that are causing us to get sick. And we need to wash our hands and get rid of the things in our lives that are making us sick. Many times they're disguised around things that we really like. Certain hobbies that we really like that are filled with germs, that are contaminating our spiritual life. Certain people in our lives that are toxic and that are ruining and hindering our walk with God. We need to wash our hands and get rid of those things that infect us with the worldly life. That sounds harsh, but the reality is that you need to make sure that you are okay. Well, they tell you in the airplane, put the mask on you first, right? Put the mask on you first. Don't expect to help anyone else until you can help yourself. We need to ask him to show us the areas in our lives that we are not giving, up, giving over to him and have him clean those areas in our life. Purify our hearts. We have to stop being double-minded, thinking that we can fool anyone, especially God himself, that we are truly devoted to God. You know, there are people that are playing the part. Oh, I love God. Their hearts are just dirty. Let's purify your hearts. Who, there's no one here to fool. You, you could fool me and you will still spend eternity in hell. Like, why, why waste your life trying to fool people around you and then spend eternity in hell? It doesn't, it doesn't, what good do you get out of that, right? Um, if we are Christians, then we must live it out. It goes back to the conversations that we had four or five sermons ago, faith and deeds, works and faith, Right? God has, if God has made a difference in our lives, then our lives need to be different than they were when we were without him. Verse 9, it hits the last one, or the second to last one. It says, let there be tears. James like, cry. Mourn. Y'all better feel bad, is what he's telling them, right? Uh, it's, it, let, let me, let me uh, it says, you should be feel horrible about the things that you've done. 
There should be tears, grief, mourning for what you did. Your heart should hurt knowing that you hurt God. When we sin, it should, we should feel bad that we hurt God. Psalm 6, 6 says, I am worn out from sobbing. All night I flood my bed with weeping, drenching it in my tears. That's a lot of crying. That was David. David after, after committing adultery with Bathsheba. David after having her husband killed. David in this moment praying to God, he finds himself crying and feeling horrible for what he's done. Feeling horrible that he hurt the Lord, that he disobeyed, that he went against God. He took, this, he took sin seriously. How serious are we taking sin? Do you actually feel that you hurt God when you sin? Or is it just another day? Thinking that he doesn't really care. How do you feel when someone hurts you? How do you feel when someone disobeys you? When your children disobey you? How do you feel when your friends betray you? How do you feel when you're lied to? How do you feel when you're cheated? How do you feel when you're ignored? How do you feel when you're slandered? How do you feel when things like that happen to you? How do you think God feels when it's done to him? It should break our hearts when we sin against God. You ever see your child's face when they know they've done something wrong and they're sorry for it? Well, Abigail has this one look. I mean, Camille gets to see it more than me. I mean, I don't think she cares about me sometimes. <laughs> it's all about Camille these days. But she will look at Camille when she knows she's done something wrong. She'll be like, I'm so sorry, Mommy, I'm sorry. Like, how come I don't get that? But her face, when they know they've done something wrong, when they've known they've hurt your feelings, are we going to the Lord in that manner? Is he, is he seeing that, that child that, that knows they've done wrong when he looks at us, when we come before him? As Christians, we need to feel that way when we sin. We need to feel that way when we disappoint God. We need to feel that way when we hurt others, and we need to feel that way when we fall short. But thank God for his grace and mercy, for his love and compassion. Thank God that we don't get what we deserve, right, every time we mess up. If we did, then none of us would be here right now. None of us would be here right now. But his grace does have limits. And we believe that his grace has limits at this church as well. Because there are some places that don't believe that there are limits to his grace. And that gives people a license to continue living a sinful life. We don't believe that. There will be a day that uh, God will one day say enough. He'll say enough is enough. And this world and all those who have not accepted the gift of salvation will receive their punishment. That's harsh, right? But you know me, I like to be more dramatic and harsh like that. But it's the truth. This is the day of judgment. The day, judgment day when, when enough is enough. And we all will stand before the king. 
But you know what? Until then, we, the church, we have a mission. You know, we, the church, have a mission and we have a command to go out and to tell the world about him until that day comes. In closing, we're to humble ourselves. Verse 10, we're to humble ourselves and we have to stop being proud of who we are. Listen, you ever know someone that's like really prideful and they start talking about themselves and you're sitting there and you're listening to them talk about themselves and you're just like, when is this going to stop? Like seriously, you are not all, you are not all that. And, and in your heart, you're just like almost disgusted. Did you know that you're disgusted off of another person who's acting prideful? But imagine the feeling that God has when we allow pride to just overwhelm us. And, and we're prideful and we think we can be prideful before him. We have to stop being proudful of who we are because we have to realize that we're nothing without him. Everything that we have that is great is probably be, it's, it's because of him. The blessings in our lives is because of him. If you take away God, then we're nothing. You have nothing. There's nothing to be happy about. He is the final authority. He's the giver of life. He's the beginning. He's the end, not us. Church, can you stand to your feet, please? There is a war within each and every one of us. If we don't do our part to attack this war, to, to, to stand up to it, then it spills over into conflict. Because what happens is when we desire things that are not God, godly, and we want to we want it or we covet someone or this and that, then what happens is there's conflict. This battle is within us, but the amazing thing is that it's a winnable war. It's a winnable war. Kind of like my laser tag team from yesterday. Who's on my team? All right, there you go. There you go. There you go. There you go, Becky back there. We won every match. We just talked about being proud, so I'm just going to say it was a team effort. <laughs> we had a great team. But there was no way pastor, former Marine, is going to allow <laughs> a bunch of teenagers to, no, no. <laughs> we had a great time later, but the thing is this, the thing is this, the, the battle is winnable. Each match that we had, either team had the ability to win. But the team that fights harder, the team that is going to be uh, resilient and keep getting up is a team that wins. Are you going to keep pushing forward in your life? 
Are you going to get back up when the enemy knocks you down? Are you going to make a decision today that says, you know what? I know I'm going through issues in my life. I know I'm going through ups and downs, but the Bible has given me ways to combat the enemy. And it starts with submitting yourself to God. If you're going through a bunch of things and you feel like life is out of control, stop and go down the checklist. Have I submitted my life to God? Right there, if the answer is no, then guess what? That's probably the number one reason why you're going through some of the things you're going through. So take a moment and do that from wherever you're at. All right, I submitted myself to God. Okay, next check. The next step, resist the devil. Am I resisting the devil? Yes or no? Are you being intentional on fighting off the temptations? Yes or no? All right. I'm fighting off. I'm fighting off the enemy. Okay, then the next one. Grow closer to God. Are you making an effort to get closer to God? Are you taking time to read, to study, to pray, to worship, to be in the presence of God? Are you doing these things? Yes or no? Are you washing your hands of all the germs? I'm going through stuff. Yeah, I'm submitting myself to God. Yeah, I'm resisting the enemy. Yes, I'm trying to get closer to God. Yes, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to wash my hands. Well, well I don't, I don't want to let this person go, though. But I'm doing everything else. I, I, I don't want to stop hanging out in this place because it's like cheers. Everybody knows my name. It was rough for me at one point to stop going to certain places because everyone knew me. It was a sense, it, w- it was just like that. You'd walk in, and everybody, hey, Vince, what's up? And it was a family, or you think it's a family, right? You've, it's a sense of belonging to something. Well, I'd rather belong to this church family than to a corner bar in North Philly. You understand? And, and, but it was hard because in my, in my mind, it was like, well, these, these, these are my people. I don't want to let this go. Yeah, I'm going to do all the other things. I'll even stop drinking. I'll even do this. But I couldn't let go at the time. And it wasn't until you finally wash your hands that God can, can continue doing the work that he's begun in you. All right, you wash your hands. Are you hurt when you hurt God? Do you truly feel that conviction? And lastly, humble yourself. Pastor, I am the humblest person in this church. (laughs) Humble yourselves. This is how we win the war. This is how you win. I got flashbacks yesterday with these kids. I don't know. I think I got to apologize to Becky. Becky, the tree, flag left, flag left. Why are you not moving? (laughs) And meanwhile, Becky's pinned down behind a tree like they're shooting at her. This is how we win a war. These are the steps. It's found in the fourth chapter of James. 
You all have access to it in your Bibles. And if you don't have a Bible, you can look up the Internet Bible, right, Bible online, and read it there. Read it. I challenge you. Don't just listen to it today and then go throughout your week not chewing on what God has said today. Read it over and over again. That's right. Chew on that. Sasha said, chew on that for everybody who didn't hear. There's some decisions that had to be made, though. Because before we can suit up in this war, we have to be on the right team. And that happens when you make a decision to follow Christ. There are some of us here today that perhaps have not made that decision. And I'm asking the prayer team to come up. Master prayer team to come up, please. And we're going to have an opportunity. We're going to have an opportunity to pray with you. Uh, Tony, Tony, can you come up, please? We want to pray with you first. If you have not made a decision to follow Christ, today can be that day. Today can be the day that you can say, you know what, I've tried it all and nothing. I've tried this, I've tried that, I've gone here, I've gone there, and yet I'm still dealing with the same things. I'm trying to do it on my own, and God is saying, we're not supposed to do it on your own. You're supposed to do it with me. Accept me, receive me. And when we go into uh, a moment of prayer and, and, and er, uh, Sister Erica leads us in, in a song, I want to know that the altar is open because we want to pray with you. And if you have accepted Christ and you're struggling in one of those seven steps, if you're struggling with submitting yourself to God, if you're struggling with resisting the enemy, if you're struggling with getting closer to him, if you're struggling about washing your hands, if you're struggling with purifying your heart, if you're struggling with not feeling hurt when we hurt God, if you're struggling with being humble, if you're struggling with any of these areas, I want to pray with you this morning. And guess what? We all struggle with many of these things. We all struggle. Father God, I thank you for your word this morning. I thank you, Lord, that you love us so much that you give us a detailed war plan. In your word, you give us a strategy, you give us wisdom, you give us direction so that we can continue to be victorious. Well, Father God, the problem is not in you or your word. The problem isn't with us. When we fail to receive your directions, when we fail to apply your strategy, when we, when we fail to disregard your word. Father God, the altar is open right now. The altar is open right now, and we want to pray with you. We don't have the answers. God has the answers. We don't have the solution. God has the solution. But taking that step forward today is a step of faith, saying, I am struggling in this, but I know that he can help me. I'm weak in this area, but I know that he is strong. I'm sick, but I know that he heals. Today is the day to say enough. 
I don't want to keep battling with submitting to God. I don't want to keep battling with resisting the devil. I don't want to keep battling with my heart being dirty. I want you to clean me today, Lord. The altar is open. Don't let this opportunity go this morning. We want to pray with you. We want to pray with you. Lord, I thank you, Lord, for your word. I thank you for healing. I thank you for salvation in this place. I thank you for your Holy Spirit that is empowering in this place. In Jesus' name.